from a galaxy far, far away. And a bookshelf straight out of the 90s. From Thrawn to Dantooine, and everything in between, this is Legends Look Back. Hey guys, we have another exciting, exclusive interview for you. Uh, Jared Mays, our host and fearless leader at the opportunity at uh, LegendsCon to interview various authors and contributors to Star Wars Legends. And Jared, you're with us today to lead us into this interview with none other than Matthew Stover. Tell us about it. (laughs) Actually, I called him Mr. Stover all throughout the interview, and at the end... He said, and I kid you not, you know you can call me Matt, right? <laughs> and I was like, okay, thank you, Mr. Stover. It was very much like a like a C-3PO and Master Luke situation. Nice. Where I couldn't... Yes, Sir Luke. Thank you, Sir Luke. Anyway, yeah, Matthew Stover is, an, is truly one of the greatest authors to ever put words into books that have Star Wars on the cover. <laughs> And I'm so grateful I got the chance to to talk to him. In fact, you called me the fearless leader. I was not so fearless around Matthew Stover. <laughs> He's a very disarming individual. He he has a way of like staring right into your soul. Uh, it's like yeah. it's almost like he is operating on a different plane of existence than all the rest of us. Which I think you can I think you can read in his yeah. writing, don't you think, Freddie? <laughs> yeah, Jared, oh, yeah. you you messaged me I think shortly after you met Stover, and you said uh, <laughs> you said Stover is a character he is a personality <laughs> yeah. right so I, I i'm very i i was hoping that he would be because uh in my opinion he uh stover's written some of the most interesting books in star wars right we've got shatterpoint uh yeah we've got of course the infamous star wars episode three revenge of the sith novelization that one is i think down in everybody's favorite books uh top top ten at, at least so top, it, top three, top one, what? Hmm? <laughs> top one, there you go. <laughs> so, so you know, I think it begs the question: Who is who is Matthew Stover? Who is Matt, as as we should call him, <laughs> right, Jared? <laughs> I don't know if I can do that, man. I don't know. <laughs> I said, I said, I you know, I just really want to be, I want to, I want to be respectful, and I want to use you know honorific terms and treat you with with honor. And he paused for a second, and he said. I understand all the honor and all that. I just think it's bull. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was great. It was great. Uh, so, um, yeah, Rick. What else did he write? He, we talked about oh, uh, Revenge of the Sith. We talked about Shatterpoint. This, he's got two or three more, right? Yeah, uh, Luke Skywalker, Shadows of Mendor, and uh, let's see, one of the New Jedi Order books, right? Oh, yeah, Traitor. Traitor. Yep. Yeah, Traitor. Two thousand two. That was his first, I think. Uh, first Star Wars Traitor is oh was it crazy. I think so uh, Traitor is such a a absolute mind bender of a book he's got a character who and we talked about this in the interview who tells Luke everything no tells Jason everything I tell you is a lie <laughs> and then that's what he wrote in my book after this interview so think about that everybody as you're listening to this interview <laughs> as soon as the interview was over he wrote in my book Everything I tell you is a lie. Oh, man. Now, is he just quoting his book, or is he playing a psychological game with me? I'll tell you this much. The interview made me want to go home and rethink my life. <laughs> hey, can I, I – I don't know if you looked at his his page on the Wook, 
But he's got a quote at the very beginning of it that's that's perfect. Can I read it real quick? <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to try to do my best uh, Matthew Stover voice, but I don't know. <laughs> when I write a book, I put everything I have into it. So the more I have, the more the books become. Some people get freaked out by them. Most of the people <laughs> who believe, mistakenly, that fantasy is about escaping reality. To them I say, if you have a problem with reality, you should be spending more time dealing with your life and less time <laughs> reading popcorn fantasy. <laughs> that's so good, man. That's so true, that was, too. I think that's, that's all we need, Jared. <laughs> that's that's so real for what it was like interviewing him. He had so many golden nuggets. And congratulations, listeners. These golden nuggets are now yours. So without further ado, let's get into our interview with Matthew Stover. Thank you to the good folks at Legends Con for giving us this opportunity to interview Mr. Stover, and uh, I hope you all enjoy. It's a tremendous honor to get to interview you. Well, thank you. Thanks for taking the time to come to Legends Con. It's my pleasure. You're, of course, the author of so many fan-favorite books, from uh, Traitor in the New Jedi Order, of course, to Shadows of Mindor, and, uh, of course, everyone's favorite, uh, Revenge of the Sith novelization, and um, it's very unique, of course, Revenge of the Sith, uh, in being one of the only books that ever had a direct involvement from George Lucas. Um, Other than the original. Sure. Yeah, sure. Alan Dean Foster, right. uh, too. Well, can you tell us about what that relationship was like? What, how did it go working with George Lucas? Well, uh, how I didn't, much involvement I didn't, I didn't, did not have? I didn't really work with him so much. I mean, I worked. I did a lot of work with like the, the editorial staff at Lucasfilm Licensing. And, and then your stuff would be sent to him. Right. But... Um, uh, before I began, when I was when I was basically roughing out the approach I thought I was going to take with this book, uh, they flew me out and I spent a whole afternoon, about three hours, uh, just I interviewing Mr. Lucas. Wow! Sat in a room with both of my editors and uh, some, I think, an LFL lawyer. Uh, I mean, both of my editors that being my New York editor for Del Rey Random House and, and my uh, Lucasfilm editor, uh, Sue Rossby, sure. and, you know, in, uh, in, at Skywalker. And a lawyer. I love that. <laughs> and, and, I think, and I think a lawyer. And a tape recorder. So that I, I, got, a, I got a transcript okay. of the conversation so that I could refer to it. Because I ended up, I think I only asked him over the course of that three hours. I, think I may have asked him 10 or 15 questions. Wow, and the 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 amount of information, backstory, concept stuff that has never gotten into any of the the media properties just in his brain staggering. Right, it 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 blew my mind because you know um, there there was a rap on on him as a as a filmmaker when uh, in you know among fandom and critics. Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones. That right. that yeah, these are just you know, these are basically just extended toy commercials and and stuff like that. It's you know this is just Lucas cashing in. <laughs> but when you talk to him about Jedi, this dude lives and breathes Jedi. Yeah, it, it, the well I mean, you could, you could you could you could see it in him. He he would get he would start to get start talking about the way some of these ideas developed and and you know things that he think happened. He, he you know, imagines are part of the the galactic history and stuff like you know all this backstory and context and stuff that that was just it was amazing. Good, 
It was amazing. <laughs> well, he's, he's a, he 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 kind of is in a, in a sense you could say he's kind of a fan of his own stuff because he was. It's really it's it, that he. It was his. It was his. His commitment and his obvious love for this. Sure, this but shit he's a father really, of it, right? That really, that really, uh, it really got me. Wow. Yeah. Well, I was worried when I asked that question when you led off with, "Well, I didn't really work with him," and then right. you told this great story about sitting with him for three hours. And right, but I, but it, but it wasn't like a it wasn't like a collaboration. It wasn't a back and forth. Yeah. He he let me ask him questions of the things that I wanted to know in order to right. do the the kind of book I wanted to write. And uh, it, it worked out pretty good. Well, speaking of the back and forth, you mentioned earlier in your panel that uh, the dragon metaphor that ends up coming through as a, as a thread throughout uh, Revenge of the Sith novelization, you said that that metaphor changed. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about the origin of the dragon metaphor and how it evolved along the, ro- along uh, the way? Well, the, 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 <clears throat> the short version of a fairly long story is that I was looking for... Uh, I was looking for a, a kind of motif that would express Anakin's the, how how close he was to the fall, right? The, something uh, that would uh, that, it just like like a metaphor kind of thing. And it, originally, what I came up with was the idea of uh, uh, nuclear fusion fire. As like a dragon, like a like a salamander, an ele- a fire elemental kind of thing, right? Okay. Um, and that that was that was Anakin's uh, rage, and the the more he progresses toward the dark side, the more the dragon was was going to break out, right? And uh, and as this one is that was that was like a it was a central it was like an organizing motif it was referenced in almost every one of his scenes in one form or another and three days before the book went to typesetting i got a call and said oh by the way the whole all the all the stuff about the dragon that has to come out (laughs) and there i made a bit of a scene uh, which i i'm not ashamed to admit and but uh, the upshot of it was, as a result of that scene and and an extended bout of furious pacing in the dark and a lot of drinking, uh, <laughs> I ended up with a terrible migraine. But I woke up in the morning with basically I I, I was screaming at them that you know this you're, it's going to typeset in three days. I, how, how do you expect me to fix this in three days? And they kept saying, well, we have every confidence in your ability. Well, <laughs> it's like, well, I don't. <laughs> I mean, what do you think is going to happen? You think I'm just going to wake up in the middle of the night and I'll know how to fix it? Right. And as it actually happened, and as I had to admit to him, the, in the middle of the night when I wrote him the email about how I had woke up and knew exactly how to fix it and did, it, the, that, that whole, the whole thing, I, I just I, I was like I was like well what if it's what if it's not rage but fear fear and then and then I and and that and and it just like for me anyway that made everything in the book I thought it made everything in the book better making that change yeah and so the, so you know I it I I fought against it with everything I had I mean sure not I was I was. I started out calm and persuasive and ended up 
screaming obscenities. And then it all worked out. Yeah. And then it all worked out because, <laughs> because it, in the end, the fact is they were right and I was wrong. Yeah. You don't always want to admit that in the moment. Yeah. yeah. Well, a last minute rewrite. Well, but it, it wasn't, you know, this was not something I could, I could anticipate. Yeah, I didn't. I I had no idea that there was that a that much better idea, right? That I had just completely missed. Sure, right. Yeah, I had missed. But they, you know, they didn't know exactly what was wrong. You know, George didn't know exactly what was wrong with it, but he knew something was wrong. Right. And he was right about that. And yeah. And God bless him. Yeah, and that that metaphor has been picked up uh, tremendously just within the last couple of years. Uh, recent canon authors have run with it. I've I've heard that uh, that Mike Chen likes to yeah. Uh, it's something in his new book. They, there's some reference about that. Yeah, he, he uses your style and, and some of your metaphors quite extensively as a way to honor you and show you know, how much you love well, that's, your work. That's and, amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. I've never met the guy. But, uh, yeah. That's Maybe one of these days. Yeah. Well, no doubt. I've, this stuff keeps happening. <laughs> yeah, well, and not only does uh, Mike Chin love your work, uh, we all do. Uh, Revenge of the Sith is widely regarded as, uh, as well as traitor. I mean, so many. Shatterpoint regarded as among the very best Star Wars books ever written. In fact, I think that Revenge of the Sith, say what you will about the movie, the novelization, I think it is the highest rated objective score that we have on a book at utini.com. Um, how does it feel for you as a creator to see your material so beloved by fans uh, all these years later? It is tremendously flattering. I mean, I, you, know, you, you have to remember that I'm, I'm a fan, right? And what every fan wants to do, really, is they want to get to play in the story. They want sure. to be part of the story, and I got to do that. And people like it. That it just, you know, doesn't get better. Than that. <laughs> you know, I, well, it, it it could have gotten better if it wasn't a media tie-in. It was something I actually owned, yeah. so I could take full credit. <laughs> right. But uh, bigger royalties that way. Yeah, bigger royalties. But, um, but. The, the real reason that, that writers write is they want to be read. And mm-hmm. the, knowing that millions of people have read this book and a lot of them really love it, is uh, it does kind of keep me warm at night. Good. No, I can see it in your eyes, yeah. that's for sure. Well, from Revenge of the Sith to, to Shatterpoint, to Traitor, to Mindor, your work seems to center around the moral gray areas in Star Wars. Now, how and why do you think that is? And, and what's your approach to writing characters and situations that skirt that line well this is a this is the answer to this question might be a little bit more complicated than we want to get into but i am i am interested in uh the way people act when they are when they have nothing left but their own resources and there's when people when there's nobody around to see you know that uh, uh, G.K. Chesterton, whatever it is, character is who you are in the dark, uh, right? Yeah. Strip everything who, else who away. Who you are when there's nobody watching and it's just you. Yeah, that's that's who you really are. It is intriguing. Um, and so a lot of my fiction uh, kind of revolves around crafting ways of stripping away the preconceptions that the characters themselves have about themselves and, sure. and the world and and sort of uh, giving them an opportunity to kind of educate themselves and, and move into a, a deeper understanding of both themselves but also the world and, and you know, where they fit in it. Right. Um, 
And that kind of requires uh, that that stripping away process. Usually, you know, in fiction, it requires trauma. It's, yeah, you, you, you torture the characters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, quite literally. I, I, I torture them until they start to tell the truth. Uh, I'm going to back it, away a little bit from you here at the table. We're sitting in quite close. No, well, order. you know, that's. I mean, that's a that's an obvious, you know, uh, exaggerated metaphor, but yeah. uh, but it's but it's not wrong. Yeah. You know, the, actually, um, I didn't even realize that it was it was a fan on, uh, I think, on the Force.net, saying that that one of the things that they liked about my books is that he is he said something about uh, how I find where the characters hurt, and then I put my thumb on it mm. and start pressing as hard as I can. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. And and I was like, yeah, that's kind of me. Sure, sure. But I could see that. Now earlier in the panel, you mentioned that. That when you were writing Mindor, you know, Luke is going through just a tremendously difficult time, and right. he's kind of lost his way, and, right. and, and he's having trouble finding light in his life. And you said that you know, in your own personal life, the time you were going through something exactly quite that. similar. Yeah. I, don't, I don't want to pry into anything personal, but would you care to elaborate on that a little bit? Um, well, as a general rule, um, happy people don't become serious writers. Uh, if you're happy with the world, you don't need to imagine a better one. Okay. Right? I was not a happy person. And I, um, and uh, some other health issues and, you know. Yeah, not yeah. our business. Right, right, right. It's just, just stuff. And I was, in a, I was in a desperately bad place. But I needed to write this book. That's, that's one of the re- part of the reason that the tone of that book is so... Uh, kind of bright and upbeat, despite the sort of monstrous it's events pulpy, that it right. describes. <laughs> well, it's, I was—I'm I, I, a big fan of Brian Daly. Yeah, uh, I, I loved uh, his Han Solo novels. Sure, loved them, um, still do. And so I was—I was trying to evoke that without walking away from the kind of moral seriousness that has yeah. sort of come to define at least the some of the more interesting parts of the, the Star Wars franchise. Yeah. And, uh, and so that was, you know, that was my, but the, the, the reason it, I adopted that happy, upbeat tone was so that I could stand to write it because, you know, it was, uh, it was a bad time for me. But yeah. uh, Luke Skywalker helped you uh, to have some light in your life. That's exactly true. I mean, that's exactly true. Uh, a lot of, a lot of if people who read my non-Star Wars stuff will find that, that all of my characters go through terrible things. But what I'm really interested in is how you come out the other side and put yourself back together and you know go on and try and live your life. Yeah. Wow. Beautifully said. Well, um, speaking of characters who come uh, out the other side, you wrote one character who did not. Ganner Rysode's Last Stand. It's going to be a bit of a spoiler here for Trader, so uh, you've been warned, listeners. Ganner Rysode's Last Stand is a real standout moment in the New Jedi Order. Uh, talk to us about how you wove him into Trader and how difficult was it for you to get permission to kill him? Um, I volunteered to kill him. They, oh. He was on the chopping block already. Okay. I he uh, he was in. Hmm, I don't know. Uh, maybe Stackpole's novels. I think so. I, I think so. Um, and, and, you know, and, uh, Mike wrote him as, you know, vain and pretentious and, you know, uh, all, uh, all surface, no guts. Yeah. Right. 
And so the, there, there was a chart. They had a chart on the blackboard at the story conference at Skywalker with the list of all of the active Jedi. Ah. And um, the, the editorial team said, okay, who are we going to kill? And so the, the other guys who were a little bit more hip, uh, you know, Jim Lucino and yeah. that who are a little bit more hip to the whole, the overall thing did most of the selection. And, and then they, so they, they came up with a, with a list. Um, and Ganner was on it. And basically the, we, we went around and, you know, I, I was like, Oh, Ganner, you, you want, you want to get rid of him? I'll kill that guy. I hate that. <laughs> but, but, a Jedi should not go out like a punk. Right. And I also have some, some personal convictions that sometimes when you're really, really in trouble, uh, it's because you've been trying to be somebody you're not. Okay. Right? And that, that the, real, the path to real power in Star Wars is, is really self-knowledge. And so what happens, what happened with Ganner is I thought, well, what if he gets in a situation where being a vain, pretentious show-off is exactly what he needs to save the day? Ah, okay. Right? Light bulb. <laughs> right. So, so, so that Ganner's last stand, it was, was, it's, was very powerful for me because it was it was him taking all of the things that everyone hated about him yeah. and saying, I don't care what you think. This is who I am. And by being that, right. I'm going to save the galaxy. It's redemptive. Yeah. Oh. You know, he became fully himself in that moment. He accepted. I've got goosebumps. All that, all that, <laughs> all that bad part of him all that 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 showy that show you know you know you know all, sure. everything he was yeah right he's like he's like well okay this is this is all i've got i guess that's what i'm going to use so you gave him guts well the situation gave him guts right there there is a uh it's a it's a phrase that from a, a non-star wars book of mine that i i like to quote uh, I call it the gift of no tomorrow. Oh, okay. Right? When when you don't have any, you know you're not going to get out. You don't have anything left to do except decide how you're going to die. Yeah. That, that for a certain kind of person, that isn't an object of terror. It's like, okay, it's finally okay. It's liberating. To, yeah. It's finally okay to just do whatever I want because yeah. I'm going to die anyway. Let's... It's, uh, I think I got this from from my dad actually. Now that I think about it, if you don't mind, a, just a little bit of a digression. You're fine. I was watching a watching a movie, uh, old. Uh, I think it was a Gene Hackman flip uh, about skydivers, stunt team skydivers, and uh, it, it, inevitably in this kind of film, one of, somebody's parachute doesn't open, right? And and I was watching this with my dad when I was about ten, and I was like, God, I just can't imagine anything worse than staring at the ground coming up to coming up at you and having yeah. all that time to realize you're gonna die and there's nothing you can do. Yeah, I don't like and, that. <laughs> and my and my dad said, Well you know what I would do? He said, I would put my feet together and point my toes, spread my arms, and hit the ground in the most beautiful God swan dive anybody ever saw. Because if you're going out you might as well do it with style. Wow. Yeah. And that's Gannon. Wow. He he knew he was going out, so it's like 
Screw it. There's no point, in pre- no point in pretending. Let's, let's, let's go big. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Stover, for that one. Wow. We've got time for one more question here, and we'll let you go, but not in a swan dive. You famously talk about the dark side inside of Jason Solo, a mm-hmm. controversial stance on the dark side, yep. um, one that I'm sure that has gotten you into all kinds of trouble over the years, but, but you do mention it's not so different from how George Lucas himself talked to you about the dark side. Talk to us about the origin of that viewpoint and what compelled you to include it in your book. Well, a lot of my books are a, are kind of metaphysical. I think that's why it was an easy, uh, not not metaphysical in the usual sense, but but one of my concerns is the way the way reality works. I like I like thinking about you know if there are rules, what are the rules? And uh, now, I, now I've forgotten where I was going. Tell me again what I'm talking about. The dark side. Is oh, the dark side. Of you. Oh, right, where right, right. Come from. Um, so I spent a lot of time thinking about the dark side and thinking about everything we know about what George Lucas thought about the dark side and what you always see is that it is the dark side the, the dark side struck me as the impulse it's the impulse to control right? okay that's 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 why the jedi frown on you know casual use of the force obi-wan would be very cross if he saw i was doing this sure right um because power to do good eventually becomes just power Okay. Right. That's. I mean, that's their theory. That's. Right. That's. That's why they frown on that because it's. It's dangerous. Mm-hmm. You. You use your power to. To make this better, and you think, well, you know, with the same power, I can make that better, and then I can make that better. Pretty soon, you're organizing society around your preferences because you are superhuman, yeah. and you have the power to make people do what you want them to do. Yeah. Anakin says, "We'll make them obey." Right. Right. We'll make them obey. That's. And that's. That's. That's the end. That's. That's what the dark side is. Right. So I, I never thought of it as I always thought that it was a conceptual error to think of it as uh, as like the uh, the devil in a in a Manichaean universe. Sure. Um, I always thought that the force is the force, and the dark side is part of the force. That's why there's no light side of the force, right? There's the force, and then the dark side. The dark side is is the 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 stuff that stems from natural animal instincts to control, to dominate. Yeah, or base instincts. Right, yeah, absolutely. Okay, wow. And and that that was, that's just, that was my thing. And also, you know, as, as he himself said, that he was kind of, was kind of inspired by that sort of Taoist, Taoist sort of thing. And the, the, the very first line of Tao Te Ching is, uh, uh, depending on the translator, the, uh, the way that can be weighed is not the true way. Ah. It can also be translated as the force that can be forced is not the true force. Oh, it's right there, huh? It's right there. <laughs> and uh, and and I thought, well, what if what if we just lean in there? Yeah. Right. We we start thinking about what the force actually is, why it works the way it works, and what the dark side. Uh, what 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 it says about it, right? Sure. And that that's that's where that came from. Wow. And yeah. uh, the same thing is happening to me in this interview. 
that always happens to me when I read your books is I feel like everything I believed about the universe has been turned on its head. So thank you for that. <laughs> that that is literally my purpose um, for being on this earth. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you, Mr. Silver. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. This is a Utini Broadcast.